Any of you ever do those little activities that, like, you know, the spot the difference things? You know, maybe you'll have two photos, and one will be altered in a certain number of subtle ways, and you have to find it. You ever do that? Is it just me in here? Y'all asleep? Yeah, okay. Thanks, Gina. I got somebody awake in here. I'm glad. You wish you were here more often. These folks ain't helping. But... uh, you know, I, I remember when I was a little child watching uh, Sesame Street, they kind of had that, you know, one of these things is not like the other, one of these things is not the same. You know, yeah, I, okay, yeah, a little more help. Thanks, Will, appreciate it. Yeah, I got one for you this morning. It's uh, uh, different, telling the difference between a lot of different Labrador, Labrador retrievers. You got the yellow lab, the black lab, the chocolate lab, and the meth lab. Yeah. Yeah, one of them, not quite the same. And when we read the Gospels, we realize very quickly that one is not the same as the others. In many respects, it's just got a different feel. Three of the four are very similar. Luke has a lot of detail. Matthew's got a distinct Jewish flavor. You know, but in general, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a lot alike. That's why we call them, in, you know, if you ever read... Uh, commentaries or more scholarly, scholarly things, you might come across the term the synoptic gospel. Synoptic just means seen together. They just kind of all look at the same stuff. But John, John does his own thing. John was one of the 12 disciples, the only one of the inner circle of three to write a gospel. You know, Jesus had the 12 that followed him around from the start of his ministry to his crucifixion. And then within the 12, there was Peter, John, and James, the brother of John. And those were the ones who went up with him on the the Mount of Transfiguration. Those kind of seemed to be the ones who were Jesus' closest friends. And of those three, John is the only one who wrote down a gospel. And he covers different items from the others. I kind of wonder... Church tradition holds that the Gospel of John was the last one written sometime after the other Gospels. So I kind of suspect that maybe John had seen the other Gospels. I can't guarantee it. Speculation on my part. But I figure at the very least he'd seen Luke. And so knowing what was out there, he decided to write down a lot of other stuff. But it was also... He wrote this gospel also at the same time as the first major heresy started to arise, the heresy of Gnosticism. And if you can understand Gnosticism, it will help you grasp why John writes what he does, why he focuses on what he does. The Greek uh, philosophy of Gnosticism comes out of the word gnosis in Greek meaning knowledge. They said that you are saved by having special knowledge. And that happens because they really play off of the Greek philosophy that uh, mind, or mind and body or spirit and body are two separate things. That which is physical, that which is matter, is bad under Gnosticism. What, you, what is good is mind and spirit. Therefore, only that which is in your mind, knowledge, matters. That which you do in your body doesn't matter. And so they said, because Jesus is perfect, because Jesus is good, he had to be a spirit. Because if he'd have been you know, a, a 
physical, flesh and blood human, then he wouldn't have been as good as he needed to be. There's an issue with that. If Jesus did not have a body, if he was not human, then he could not be our sacrificial offering for sin, which means our sin isn't forgiven, which means Gnosticism has a really fatal flaw in right from the beginning. And so John, as he wrote his gospel, this was popping up. So he kind of throws in a lot of things that address that philosophy. You know, he will refute Gnostic heresies time and again. He even does that in his letters, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But also in John, we see a very human side of Jesus. He's very clear. Jesus is the Son of God. He is not just human. He is God as well. But remember, John is one of Jesus' close friends. We think he may have even been one of Jesus' relatives, maybe not a particularly distant cousin. Maybe he was a second cousin of Jesus or something like that. So as a result, we see Jesus through John's eyes in some quieter and more unguarded moments than we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This isn't just Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God. John shows us Jesus the person. Again, with the background that Jesus is the Son of God. But we get that, uh, that human side of him too. And John really is a two-pronged purpose for his gospel. One leads to the other. He wants us to believe in Jesus. And believing, he says, we receive eternal life. All throughout the gospel, we see people meeting Jesus and then believing. All so that we can meet Jesus and believe. Now, the first 12 chapters of John covers the entirety of Jesus' ministry. He opens with a very poetic first chapter. You probably heard that one. You know, in the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, Word was God. We, we could spend hours and hours just unpacking first chapter. We're not doing that this morning. I got a plane to catch. But he points out the true nature of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He's not some normal person. Jesus is not just some dude that God looked at and said, I like your style. I'm promoting you to Messiah. Jesus is not just some guy who seemed like he was checking off a bunch of boxes and then decided, you know, I could be the Messiah after all. No, John is pointing out that even from, right, even from before creation, Jesus was special. He is fully God from the beginning. As a matter of fact, when Genesis opens up in the beginning, John points out that wasn't Jesus' beginning. He was here at the start, but that was not his start. But Jesus' message is summed up in a conversation with a fellow rabbi. A fellow named Nicodemus at one point comes to Jesus to talk. They, rabbis like to talk shop. You know, we preachers, we talk shop, that sort of thing. You know, those of you in your line of work, I'm sure you have more than once gotten together with people, you know, your colleagues, and what do you talk about? Work. That's what they're doing in chapter 3 of John. Nicodemus comes by to meet this new rabbi. There's a lot of scuttlebutt about him. And he wants to get, get this man's measure. 
and he finds his theological world absolutely upended. In this conversation, Jesus makes a very simple yet a very profound statement about his mission. This is probably very familiar to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Yeah, John 3.16, it's the the thing, even if you've never set foot in a church before, you've probably heard of John 3.16. Why? Because it encapsulates Jesus' message and his mission in such a way that even children can grasp it. I mean, here's the beauty of the gospel of John, friends. I mean, I'll, I'll be really transparent with you. John is my favorite gospel. I've got, I've got favorites too. Yeah, you know, just like you and your kids. Yeah, but the, <laughs> yeah, a few of your parents like looking at the kids. Oh, we don't have, we don't have favorites. Except for this one. No. Yeah, we preachers have our favorites too. You know, John is my favorite gospel because he puts things so clearly, so simply that anybody can understand it. And yet, there is so much depth to this that learned scholars with lots of letters after their name can spend their entire career unpacking it and learning new things about it. John just does that in a masterful way. Four times in three verses here, the word believe is used. He's pointing out we can believe. Each time he says the word belief here, centers on Jesus. What do we believe in? Friends, we believe in Jesus. Jesus came to earth because of God's love. But believing in Jesus changes our destiny from destruction to life. What changes things? The belief in Jesus. It's not because you're that good a person, it's because you believe. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for that. We humans, we want to believe we're the, we're the good person. You know, you, how often does a villain think they're the bad guy in the story? You know, I know, you know, you get guys like, you know, Dr. Evil who went to evil medical school. You know, we joke about that. But every time you will find somebody doing something wrong, they do it because they think they're the good guy. We're never the bad guy in our own stories. Friends, none of us are as good as we think. So thank God that we don't have to be as good as he is. We couldn't get there. No, instead, our default state is condemnation, thanks to our sin. If you've ever taught anything and had to hand out one of those good old one-legged A's to your students... You have had a student look at you, why did you give me an F? And every teacher responds the same way, I didn't give you an F, you earned the F. Whether you didn't do the work, or you just mailed it in, or you just paid no attention to what you were supposed to do, that's what you get when you do work that bad. Friends, God's not sending us to hell. No, if we end up in hell, it is not because God looked at us and said, I'm just going to be mean to you. 
We go to hell because we earned hell. We go to hell because we sinned. We go to hell because we rebelled against God. We go to hell because that is what we have earned with our actions and by our choices and by the life that we have lived. We have turned from God and we place ourselves under condemnation. Because how can a holy God have anything to do with an utterly sinful person? That's our default state, friends. Now, I know we, in our, here at Christview and in our brotherhood of churches, we will differ from some of our Christian brothers and sisters. We don't believe that babies are born sinful. Like Calvin and Hobbes says, we think they're just quick studies. It doesn't take long. We learn pretty quick how to lie, to cheat, to steal. And our sins grow in scope and in number further cementing our condemnation. For we have been disobedient to God. We have sinned. That is the name of our lives, friends. But it is Jesus that believing in him that takes us from condemnation to salvation. We don't start at salvation and fall, and, and, and then you know, God moves us. No, we choose something else, but it is only by believing in Christ that we gain that salvation. It is only by being forgiven in him. And Jesus is telling this distinguished teacher, Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have been thinking, I got it about as good as anybody could. I was born a Jew. I live here in Israel. I'm doing pretty good. And I'm, I was born into a pious family. They bothered to teach me things. And I learned. And I put in the effort. And now I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. I'm high-ranking. I'm special. And Jesus looks him in the face and says, you ain't as special as you think. He talks to him about being born again, and Nicodemus' brain explodes. How can I be born again? I've already had the best birth there could be. And Jesus tells this distinguished teacher, he has to believe. Friends, it doesn't matter where we are, who we are, where we're from, what status we have. We must believe in Jesus if we are going to have life in him. We do not have salvation. We do not have life if we do not believe. We will receive instead what we have earned. Condemnation. But when we believe in Jesus, we receive what Jesus earned in his sinless life. He deserves paradise. He received punishment. He deserves life. He received death. But believing in him, we who deserve hell receive heaven. Friends, eternal life isn't because of something we do, any accomplishment we achieve, or any level of good deeds we might attain. It rests on our belief in Jesus, for he did the work. We believe that belief sparks obedience. We obey him. We gain life. And time again in the Gospel of John, that pattern plays out. The end goal here is that we have life. But it begins with belief. And we see that going all the way through John. We don't believe just to believe. We believe because in believing, we gain eternal life. 
You get to John chapter 13, and the Gospel of John slows down. The first 12 chapters are pretty much three years of ministry. You think, man, that goes by pretty fast. Yeah, and John, it does. But chapter 13 is the beginning of the week before Jesus' death. And John spends a fair amount of time on that. Gives us the most detail of that last week. By far and away the most detail of the Last Supper. Way more than all the others put together. And at that Last Supper, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is coming. As he does, he makes a very clear statement about how important he is. Just in case you weren't sure. He's talking to them, warning them about what's to come. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is about to leave them. But he is not going to leave them uninformed. You see, following Jesus isn't just about this life. We don't follow Jesus, so we are prosperous in the here and now. Anybody who's ever told you, well, God wants you to be rich, friends, that fellow is a liar. Maybe you'll be prosperous, maybe not. It has nothing to do with whether you believe. Following Jesus isn't all, also isn't about having great health. You can follow Jesus your entire life and never be free of health problems. And you can see people out there are just the worst sinners of anything. And, you know, man, they can even eat dessert without worrying about going to the gym later. Ain't fair. But friends, following Jesus, instead, it always has us looking to eternity. We are headed for eternal life with heaven, present with God. We don't follow Jesus because of this life right here. We follow Jesus because of the life that is to come. We don't follow Jesus for our 80 to 90 years on this earth. We follow Jesus for our eternal lives in heaven. He is turning their eyes at that meal from the impending despair past that to the coming joy. He knows what's going to happen in the next 48 hours. It's going to be a rough time. Especially for him. But even for his friends. They are going to see him beaten, executed. They're going to be terrified. Their faith is going to be shaken. And he's saying, if you want to survive this, you've got to look ahead. If we want to get to heaven, friends, we have to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to understand this, and I want you to understand this good. Friends, Jesus is not a way to God. He is not a way to God. He is not a way to God. He is the way to God. 
Jesus is not one among many. Salvation is not a multiple choice test. What would it say about God? Think about this for a moment. What would it say about our God if there would be multiple ways to get to heaven but God decided to crucify his son anyway? What would that say about God? Is that a God you want to hang out with for eternity? God saying, you know, there's a lot of ways to get here. You could just be a good person. You could follow, follow Muhammad. You could follow Hinduism. You could do all this other stuff. But I'm going to kill Jesus anyway. I'll admit I don't have kids. But this really ought to resonate with those of you who do. How many of you like it when your kids are hurting? I mean, all I got is a dog. And a couple weeks ago, she had a little owie on her paw. And I was worried about that. But how many of you like it when you see your kids suffer in anguish? It's heart-wrenching, isn't it? You'd do anything for them to stop it, wouldn't you? What would it say about you if you said, you know, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to do it to you? No, Jesus went to the cross, friends, because there was no other way. Jesus was crucified because our sins had, had to be forgiven. And that meant a price had to be paid. Friends, no other way to God, no other proposed path, no other thing humans have come up with has any way to deal with sin. Sometimes what those ways have to do with denying sin. Oh, it wasn't that bad. It's not a big deal. How can we determine that? We're the sinner. God's the offended party. How can we say to him, oh, it wasn't a big deal? Or we'll try to bury our sin and cover it up. Well, if we just do enough good deeds, we'll outweigh them. We'll outweigh them. It won't erase them. You get pulled over by the cop and you say, well, I, I wasn't speeding back there, officer. And he says, yeah, but you were right here. You still done wrong. If we want to reach eternal life, we can do that only, only by believing in Jesus. And that's why John keeps hammering this belief angle, because it's critical. And in preparing his disciples for what was to come, he's preparing us for life in him. We believe in him. We believe where he was gone. We believe that there is a place for us. Friends, this keeps us going. I, this is one of these scriptures I use when we are standing in front of an open grave. Because how do we avoid, how do we get past the despair that this world leaves us with? I tell you, you get to a funeral, that will separate the people with hope from the people without real quick. Everybody grieves. But there's a difference in the flavor of that grief. You have people who believe it ends here, there's nothing beyond it, and they are just, they've got nothing to do with it. It breaks them. And then you've got people who know this isn't goodbye, this is see you later. You get people who know 
this may look final, but this ain't the end. And that keeps us going. We keep on following him. John does interrupt his retelling of the resurrection to make this point again. You get down to chapter 21. John, Jesus is risen. Jesus is making appearances to people. And John throws in two verses. Kind of right in the middle of all of this because he doesn't want us to wonder why he wrote. He's real upfront with us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He admits this isn't an exhaustive, bi exhaustive biography of Jesus. It can't be. At another point, he says, if we wrote down everything Jesus did, the, the, you can contain the pages. The, the world doesn't have room for the books. He says, I got a purpose. I picked and chose. I put these in here for a reason. That reason is I want you to believe and to gain life. John followed Jesus, believed Jesus, had life in Jesus. John wrote about people who met Jesus, believed in Jesus, had life in Jesus. What, jo what does John want us to do thousands of years later on the other side of the globe? To meet Jesus, believe in Jesus. And have life in Jesus. That's what it comes down to. You want to know the gospel of John? Believe in Jesus. This is why we turn to this gospel when, we, when, when we're trying to get people to believe. If you meet someone and they're like, man, I just want to know who Jesus is, you give them the gospel of John. Easy to read. And it brings us to belief in, in Christ. Told to us by one of Jesus' closest friends on earth. Nobody knew Jesus better than John. You know, just about anybody could write a history about someone. But if you get it from one of their closest friends, one of the people who knew them best, maybe a brother, a spouse, a child, you're going to give that one a little more weight, won't you? Here's someone who saw this person in, in, at home in unguarded moments. They got to see things that nobody ever wrote down. That's John. And he says, you believe in Jesus. We have to remember, believing Jesus means following Jesus. We don't get to say we believe and stay as we are. Friends, real belief means we act. If we truly believe, something's going to change. But when we believe and when we follow him, friends, we find life. We find life. We have a hope. Not just for this life. We have eternal life to look forward to. You look around this world, you might think, man, this place is messed up. Everything's going wrong. You want to know why? This world's falling to pieces. It isn't going to be forever. We need hope for a coming world. We need hope for an eternity. God's given us a new one. And he says, if you want to be part of it, you believe in Jesus. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you that you have given us your son. He has died for us and he has risen again to show us there's more. Lord, help us to believe 
that we may have life in him. Lord, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing our invitation song. I know.